been talking about the characteristics of God, which are the fruit of the Spirit. And I've already spoken through um, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, and then goodness. And then the, I last spoke on faithfulness, which actually in the Greek is faith. Last Sunday, Andrew spoke on gentleness. And I'll, I told you when I spoke bef- the Sunday before last, I was not through with faith. I'm going back to that right now. When you go to a doctor and he does tests and evaluates your health, you will often find that, that you sometimes have certain hormonal or vitamin deficiencies. And he may say, you need a little bit more vitamin C, or so, especially someone that, that works with a holistic realm of medicine. If there is anything that as a, forgive me for saying this, a specialist in church matters, that's what I am. I've trained thousands of pastors. If there's anything that I, as a specialist in church matters, discern that the church is lacking in, it's faith. We live in a world where it's too easy to not have faith. We don't live in India or Latin America or South America where if you don't have faith, you're you're not going to survive. We've got all kinds of safety nets. They may not be what you or I would like for them to be. But you go to some of these other countries, they don't have food stamps, they don't have governmental support, they don't have social security, they they don't have anything. You fall through the cracks, you're just sunk, sorry. At least in America, we've got some kind of support systems that help us. That's why everybody wants to come here. But somehow in all of this, the negative side of that, it's affected us in this way, we don't need to trust God anymore. Because everything is in place. And so our prayer over the years has shifted from our Father which art in heaven to our Father which art in Washington, D.C. And this is why there's so much animus and, and fury during an election cycle. Like is going on right now when people are hotly debating which one is going to do the most for us. And the truth of the matter is... And I've said it before, and I don't mean to make anybody angry because we have supporters on both sides for both candidates, but frankly, this year, it's just, which one is the lesser of the two evils? Amen. And the bottom line is, we're supposed to be praying, the Lord is our shepherd that we shall not want. Our ultimate faith should be in God. But through the years, there's grown to be an enormous deficiency of faith that exists on the part of the church. And... I want to talk to you today about flourishing because God is growing his faith in me, part two. I spoke on this last a couple of Sundays ago, and I'll speak on this again for a few Sundays more because the need is so great. When I last spoke, I spoke about four kinds of faith. There is actually a series I do on the seven kinds of faith, but I condensed it to four kinds of faith, the last being the gift of faith, which is God's faith. In Mark 11, 24 through 20, uh, 21 through 24, Jesus had cursed a fig tree, and as they were returning back by that place, Peter looked and saw the fig tree had withered, and he said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God, only that's not really what he said, as we shall see. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, to this congregation, to Christian Tabernacle, to you right there on the third pew, listen to this. Whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. 
I'm told that the original text does not say have faith in God like it's translated in our Bibles in the King James and some of the other translations in verse 22. It doesn't say have faith in God. The literal translation says have the faith of God. For example, Young's literal translation translates it this way, have faith of God or literally have the faith of God. The Bible in basic English says have God's faith. What Jesus was literally doing was offering his disciples faith at a higher level than we human beings can ever attain to. Our faith is shaken by circumstances, layoff slips, bad diagnosis, uh, somebody hand you a summons at the door, you know, that kind of a thing can shake your faith. But let me tell you this about God. There is not one moment when God's faith ever wavers. God knows who he is. When the sun comes up in the morning, he says, I'm God. When it goes down at night, he says, I'm God. All in between, he says, I'm God. I'm in charge. And he never doubts it. If God were to put that kind of faith in your heart, you would see your life transformed. And that's what I am convinced God wants to do. I believe that we were meant to live the extraordinarily blessed life. But to live the extraordinarily blessed life, we must grow extraordinary faith. Extraordinary faith is God's faith that he gives to you. So you can't have it by yourself. And so let me just say this. I want to remove the guilt because so many times when you talk about faith, people that really need a miracle feel even more beat up because they didn't get a miracle and they're made to feel condemned and guilty because their faith didn't measure up. I want to release you from any guilt or condemnation and tell you that the gift of faith is not anything you can produce on your own. It's God's gift to you. But there are some things that you can do to help facilitate him presenting that gift. The question that becomes of paramount importance then is what causes the activation of the gift of faith in our lives. 2 Thessalonians 1, 3 through 4. We are bound, Paul says, to give thanks, to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly. Say it, grows exceedingly. Come on, say it again. Grows. What happens? The saints, their faith was growing, not just growing, but growing at such a rate that Paul said it's growing exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. What Paul is pointing out is that number one, faith can grow. And what I want you to see is that if faith can grow, it can also plateau. If faith can grow and plateau, it can also diminish. If it can grow exceedingly, which has to do with how fast it's growing, its rapid rate of growth, then it can grow slowly. Or it can also decrease exceedingly. Or it can grow not at all. As I pointed out, what we need to know is how do we grow faith that grows exceedingly. Proverbs 16 and 22 gives us a clue when it says, Understanding is a wellspring of life unto him that hath it. Wellspring of life. We want to live the extraordinarily blessed life. How do we draw that life out of the well? Through understanding. But the instruction of fools is folly. You see, the Bible isn't given to us just to read. Rather, it is given to us to understand how life is meant to be lived and to help us 
and the process understand the heart of God. To do this, you must actually study it. Which, here's the problem. Many believers don't. They don't even prioritize coming to church to hear the word of God. I keep, you know, gentle little jibes pointing out to you, you're not going to melt. You're going to go to work if it rains. Why can't you be in the house of God? I promise you, you get hungry, you're going to get out and go to a restaurant, you know, if it's raining or not. Your soul is craving spiritual food. Why is it that some of us, the only time we open our Bibles is Sunday morning? And when we leave church and go home, we set our Bible down and don't pick it up again until we go to church the following Sunday. Your soul is starving and shriveled. Your faith cannot grow. One of the most important steps in growing faith is to understand the role that knowing God's heart, as it is revealed in his word, plays in accessing the supernatural dimension. It isn't faith in faith that causes the supernatural to occur. It's faith in God. Amen. The Bible teaches us that God and his word are indivisible. So faith in God means faith in his word. Watch it close now. God and his word cannot be separated. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, say it, and the word was God. You can't separate from God from his word. The word has many layers of understanding or depths of meaning. I'll give you five. How deep you go in knowing or understanding the word is the key to causing the supernatural to become an active part in your life because that's the key to growing your faith. It's the key to tapping into the power of God. The first dimension of understanding of the Bible is to, has to do with the stories of the Bible. This is where our children and where we began as children to know the Bible. In the educational department this morning, they're teaching them stories. The story of Jonah and the whale. The story of Jesus feeding the multitude with a few fishes and loaves. Sadly, many people never get beyond the level of stories in their understanding of the Bible. Yet understanding is the wellspring of life through which you come to a point of faith that you can live the extraordinarily blessed life. The second level is when you discover the stories are important because they contain history. History is found in the Bible. The Bible is one of the most powerful historical books that has ever existed. Archaeologists have used it for years to know where to search in the Middle East for the ruins of ancient civilizations. They have found civilizations and cities exactly where the Bible said they once thrived. They found evidences of certain people who lived. They have found evidences of different things that the Bible said happened that modern-day skeptics laughed at and said none of that occurred. And then somebody with a spade in one hand and a trowel and a brush and a Bible in the other went and began to dig, led by clues in the Word of God, and found everything the skeptics said didn't happen, did happen, and they have the evidence of it. Amen. But you see, why history is important is because God never changes. And the way it benefits you and I is like this. If somebody touched God years ago by doing something, I know that since God doesn't change, I can touch him doing the same thing. Aha. Now we're getting to the third level, which is when you realize that within the history, there are also principles. Amen. 
The principles can be applied to your life and cause you to experience either success when you apply them or failure if you do not. Most believers do not reach this level. Most believers only go to the second dimension. Most unsaved people, if they get anywhere, get to the first. But the third level is when profound impact begins to occur. When you realize there are principles, the fourth level is even more powerful, and that's when you realize that the principles contain spiritual laws. You found the principle was this, but the reason it was this was because there was a spiritual law involved. I get on an airplane called a 747 made by Boeing and fully loaded, that thing weighs 970,000 pounds. That's almost a million pounds. How do you get something like that to overcome the pull of gravity? You apply the law of aerodynamic lift. You, once you learn the laws, you can apply them to make impossible things begin to occur. Oh, somebody needs to say amen. I'm talking to somebody right now that if you're listening, I'm going to give you something that's going to help you change your world. Amen. The fifth dimension is the most powerful of all. And that's when you realize that, look, the reason the principle is powerful is because it contains a law. But the principle is in the history and the history is in the story. So I got to dig through these levels until I get to the fifth level. And the fifth level is about grace because the number of five is the number of grace. And that's when you find out the reason all of this works is these laws contain keys. Do you have some keys right now? Reach in your pocket or in your purse real fast and get some keys out and hold them up and just shake them. I want you to do that. But I believe in prophetic symbols prophetic action. When you do this, I want you to say these words. I've got some keys. Come on, say it. I've got some keys. You know what keys do? They open doors that are locked. When you have keys, you don't need a handout. You don't need somebody to pick you up. You're not a beggar sitting at somebody's gate. You can move into your own future once you have keys. And what this church is about is not just telling you stories and history or even giving you principles or laws. I want to give you keys where you walk out of here, you can transform your life. And keys you can pass on to your children. Because you can do some things that can profoundly change your life forever. And the Bible can do that. It can change your life forever. Everything about that part of the world is impacting. Uh, joke, okay? Joke. A Jewish businessman in Chicago sent his son to Israel for a year to absorb the culture. When the son returned, his dad said, how'd you like it? He said, Papa, I had a great time in, in Israel. And by the way, I converted to Christianity. And his dad said, Oy vey, what have I done? He took his problem to his best friend, Ike. Ike, he said, I sent my son to Israel, and he came home a Christian. What can I do? Funny you should ask, said Ike. I, too, sent my son to Israel, and he also came home a Christian. Perhaps we should go see the rabbi. So they went to see the rabbi and explained their problem. And the rabbi said, funny you should ask what to do. I, too, sent my son to Israel, and he also came home a Christian. What is happening to our young people? So they all prayed, telling the Lord about their problem and their sons. And as they finished their prayer, a voice came from the heavens. Funny you should ask, said the Lord. 
I too sent my son to Israel. <laughs> Amen. There's some things that can change your life. There are several reasons why as believers we need to get as much of the word as we can if we wish to live the extraordinarily blessed life. Number one, the incredible power of the word of God. Get as much of the word as you can because it's powerful. Hebrews 11 and 3. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are not seen were not made, which things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Do you have some things that are unseen that you need to see in your life come into existence? God's word will make things pop out of nothingness. Number two, God always honors his word. Isaiah 55, 11, so shall my word be that goeth forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Number three, knowing, understanding, believing, and then are you hearing? Acting upon the word of God is the key to growing the faith of God in your heart. Jesus said in John 15, 7, if you abide in me. And my words abide in you. You will ask what you desire and it shall be done. Number four, God's word is alive. John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. This Bible is a living book. Put your, your, up to your ear and you will hear the pulsating heart of God Almighty. You will hear it speak to you. This Bible is not a collection of ink on paper. It is the living word of a living God that is alive in your hands. John 6 Verse 60 and through 63, we live in a day where it's popular for people to say, ah, the Bible doesn't mean that. That's too hard. It, it, it can't, I can't pay my tithe. I can't give in this campaign. Can't, can't. I don't believe. I don't think this is necessary. There was a time the disciples told Jesus that very thing. They told him, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? And do you know God will give you an instruction and just sit back and wait to see what your response is? And he'll ask you, you think this is offensive? You really think so? Well, let me tell you, I'm getting ready to do some stuff that's going to really blow your mind. And he goes on to say in verse 63, listen to this. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Did you hear that? This book is alive. It contains words that are alive. If you hold a printed Bible, it's not ink and paper. In my case, I'm holding an iPad. It is not just computer uh, writings or programming software. It's more than that. This is a living word, the, the living word of God Almighty. And you get this on the inside of you and the life of God begins to act in you. And oh, somebody in the building ought to say amen. And it will begin to manifest itself. God and his word are indivisible, as I said in John 1 and 1. Beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Do you know that we as believers do not reverence the authority of the word as we should? Jewish people do. When our Bibles wear out, ask any custodian at any church what is done with the Bibles. They're left at church under the assumption that somebody's going to pick them up and send them to some missions post overseas or whatever, give them to somebody that needs one. Somebody came by my office just this morning and asked me for a Bible, and I gave them one. But let me tell you what Jewish people do. When their Torah, 
when, when it becomes soiled or damaged, you know what they do? They literally conduct a funeral for it and they bury it in the cemetery because they say the Bible is not just a book, it is alive. And when they bring a new one into the synagogue, they, what they have done is buried the old one. Oh, I feel my anointing right now. We need to value the Word of God. Well, there are a number of passages in Scripture that teach us the importance of having understanding of God and of God's Word as it relates to causing our faith to increase. It's not just enough to know the Word of God. You have to understand the heart of its author. And some of these are even the so-called problem text of Scripture. By problem text, I mean for years there have been skeptics and agnostics, unbelievers who have pointed to what they believe is proof that the Word of God is unreliable. They point, uh, they go from the place of ridicule to an even further place to declare that if these certain things are problem text in the Bible, and in their view they're not reliable, then how can we rely on anything the Bible says specifically as It relates to salvation or anything else, and they have a legitimate and valid argument. The problem here is is what I'm going to, I'm going to talk about some of these problem texts, but the problem is that, that they don't understand the heart of its author, and they call it problem text, and the reason they do is because it seems that at times God will say something, and God will say something's going to happen at a certain time, and then for some reason, the time schedule gets altered. And I want to show you why that is. The problem is not inconsistency on God's part. The problem is somebody either understood the heart of God and was able to change the schedule, or they failed to understand the heart of God and didn't take advantage of the schedule. Watch it now, because this is going to really be eye-opening. And because these people that are skeptics have no understanding of the heart of God, they know the Bible, they found what they call the problem text, but just knowing the scripture and not knowing the heart of its author will cause you to live in unbelief. Amen. You've got to know not only the words, you've got to know the heart of the one that sent you the word. I need a better amen than that. Let's look at Daniel chapter 9 verses 1 through 2. Daniel realized the 70, I'm going to preach hard today. I'm going to take my coat off. I, I feel it coming on. Daniel realized the 70 years of captivity spoken by Jeremiah and Jeremiah chapters 25 and 29 were almost fulfilled. And in Daniel 9, he says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books, that is the scrolls of Jeremiah, the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Bible scholars will remember that God told Israel who was living in rebellion, if you will repent, I will save you. If you don't, you're going 70 years into captivity. They did not repent. Daniel prayed until he touched God. Then he did something Israel had not yet done. He repented for the sins that had caused Israel to be carried away into captivity in the first place. Read on down in Jeremiah 9, uh, rather Daniel 9. And by so doing in repenting in for the nation, he satisfied the need of judgment. And then he turned to God. Remember this, God did not send them into captivity because he wanted to. He said, you've made choices that are leading you into captivity. I'm standing in the way saying, stop. 
and they said, we're not going to stop. They did an end run around God, and God, you know what God does? When he tells us something and we choose not to obey, he doesn't say, I'm going to get even. He just steps back and says, go ahead, play it out. Let's see what develops. And the result of our choices ends up in consequences that God foresaw and tried to warn us of but did not want to happen. Ergo, he warned us in the first place. I need somebody to say amen. And so God stepped out. Israel's carried away into captivity. They're now in their 67th to the 68th year of captivity. And Daniel picks up the scroll of Jeremiah, begins to read, and then he says, wait, 70 years. We've been here for 67 and a half years now. And he repented. God, forgive us of this. And then he did something that is mind-boggling. He dared to ask God to release them before the 70 years were over. Do you know that God hearkened to his prayer? And Israel was released from captivity by Cyrus between the 67th and the 68th year of their captivity. Why did God caused them to be released two years early because Daniel not only knew the word, he understood the heart of God. When you know the word and know the heart of its author, you can change times and seasons. You don't have to wait 10 years for your miracle. I'm talking to somebody right now. You can cause God to show up now in your life. Amen. What he did is the very essence of faith. Another example, consider Moses and Israel's captivity in Egypt. Israel stayed in captivity, we know by Scripture, 430 years. Yet God had gone on record saying they would be there 400 years. Genesis 15, 13 through 14, he said to Abram, No, certainly, your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom I serve, I will, they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Stephen also stated in his discourse in Acts chapter 7 verse 6 that God's statement was you'll be there 400 years. Yet we know and there's even scriptural evidence to prove that Israel didn't stay just 400. They stayed 430. Look at Exodus 12 40 through 41 and the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was for the sojourn was 430 years. Somebody say amen. On that very same day, when, the 430th year, it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. Question, why 30 years longer than God said? I'll tell you why. Skeptics say it's a problem text. I say no. What the problem was is not with the text. The problem is Moses didn't understand God's heart. He had been raised by Pharaoh. And in the 390th year of their captivity, Moses, at the age of 40, went to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. The next 10 years would have completed the timetable, and God would have used him to deliver them out of Egypt. And Moses saw an Egyptian strike a Hebrew, got mad, didn't act out. Out of revelation, but he acted out of emotion. I'm talking to somebody right now. You better be careful and let the revelation of the word of God be the force that makes you step out. Don't act out of emotion. You need to act on the word of almighty God. And he killed the Egyptian. And the result was he had to flee for his life. And he spent 40 years in hiding and in isolation on the backside of a desert. And the remaining 10 years of their captivity came and went and 30 
more years in addition to that before another Pharaoh arose. Oh, I'm preaching right now. And by the way, everything I'm talking about is documented in Scripture. Look at Abraham and Sarah. I don't believe it was necessary that Abraham and Sarah had to wait until he was 100 and she was 90 for Isaac to be born. God appeared to Abraham when he was 75 and said, I'm going to give you a son. Abraham had faith, but Sarah was not there to hear that word from God. Mm. Can I preach on that a little while? You don't know what's going to be preached if Sunday you decide to stay home just because it rained just a little bit. And it might have transformed your life and set you back years in what God was about to do for you. Watch it now. Watch it now. Abraham heard the word, but Sarah didn't. Amen. In Romans 4, 19 through 22, we're told by Paul that not one time did Abraham ever doubt. It was Sarah who doubted. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old. From 75 to 100, Abraham did not doubt. And he didn't consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver. That's what the Bible said at the promise of God through unbelief. Some of us waver. We hear God make promises and we waver. And with unbelief, but he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being what? Fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. When you believe in spite of the obstacle, he looked at his own body that was dead and said, I still believe God. One of the problems is we look too much at x-rays and MRIs and bank statements. Hello. We look too much at the national media and the news reports, and it affects our faith in God. Let me tell you, God's God, whether the media likes it or not, whether there's a spot on the MRI or there's nothing on the MRI, God is still God. Sarah was sterile. She did not hear God tell Abraham they would have a son. And so here's what you do if you don't hear a word from God or if you only hear a word but you don't have understanding. She set about to go ahead and fix this for Abraham. She had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar, Genesis 16, 1 through 2. So she said to Abraham, you can go into my, my maidservant and I'll take children by her. Now, I don't know how you have kids at your home, but that would never work at my house. Amen. There has never been a day that my wife is going to say, you see that pretty little thing? You can go and have a baby with her and I'll raise it. Uh -uh, that, that won't do for the Jerry I've known all these years. Amen. And Abraham, I can, he's a man. He says, honey, I really don't want to, but if you're pushing me, I'm going to, you know, and, and she tried to fix it because she had her own understanding and this is what happened. God rejected the child that was born out of that illegitimate union, returned to visit Abraham and said in Genesis 17, then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Notice again that Sarah was not there. And God said, I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. She wasn't there. She didn't understand the heart of God. Abraham heard the word. He was God's friend. He understood God's heart. Sarah didn't. And so Sarah's setting about trying to fix this. Oh, I need somebody to say, Amen. Hallelujah. He continued to believe God. Then God appeared to them both. Genesis 18. And God said, then they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, here in the tent. God asked, where's Sarah? 
He said, she's in the tent. She was in the house. She finally made it to church. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the, I am preaching, thank you very much. I will return to you according to the time of life. You don't know how you're delaying your own miracle. You don't know how you're setting back God's plan for your life. We think God's going to just, because he said something, come do it. Whether we ever meet the pre-qualifying conditions or not. Let, let me, I'm talking to you. Amen. So where's Sarah? She's in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. That is nine months from now. And behold, Sarah, your wife shall have a son. And Sarah was listening in the tent door, which is behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age. She was 89. He was 99. And Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. She couldn't have a child before because she was barren. And now she's past the age. She's well beyond menopause. She's postmenopausal. And so Sarah begins to laugh. And the Lord said to her, uh, and Sarah says, after I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? Hey, God, last night I put on my fanciest negligence. And I got out there and sashayed in front of him. And he said, Mama, get out of the way. You're, you're blocking the game. I said, I know something about this old man. Maybe you don't know. It don't work like that in our house anymore. And the Lord said, why did Sarah laugh? Shall I bear a child since I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life. And Sarah shall have a son. You are going to receive your miracle if you will trust God. You will receive your miracle. But Sarah denied it saying, I did not laugh, but for she was afraid. And he said, no, you did laugh. And do you know they named that boy Isaac, which in Hebrew is Yitzhak, which is the same word phonetically for laughter. Because when the old Hebrew, toothless and aged, would laugh, he'd go, Yitzhak, 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 Yitzhak. And so they named him Yitzhak, or Isaac. And God said, every day that boy lives, he's going to remind you that you didn't have faith. Amen. And the reason she didn't have faith was not because Abraham didn't hear the word. He did. When he came and told her, she didn't understand the heart of God. Understanding is the wellspring of life. You've got to know that God uses things to make a miracle happen. Amen. World War II was caused by Nazi Germany when Adolf Hitler attempted to create an empire and began by invading Poland. You see, understanding can be of crucial importance even in today's world. As a result of the, thank you so much and bless you, dear sister. As a result of that horrific battle where there were trillions of dollars of damages, millions and tens of millions of people who lost their lives, the war ended in 1945 and Hitler was defeated. Immediately at the end of World War II, the victorious allies, the United States, the UK, Russia, and China implemented an agreement whereby they would join together to prevent the subjugation of people around the world from ever occurring again by those who sought to conquer and rule them for their own selfish purposes. That was the beginning of the United Nations. And they drew up the document. In India, there was a little Indian attorney named Mohandas Gandhi that we've given the, the title of, of respect to Mahatma Gandhi. He was an attorney leading the Indian independence movement and Britain kept turning them down on every hand. Once that document was signed by the United Nations, which included the UK, 
Bay, which was the one that held India and under their colonial power, Mohandas Gandhi took that document and went to the British Council and said, you've got to give us our independence. And they said, why? And he said, right there in this document, you said you would never permit the subjugation of people ever again. They said, we'll get back to you on that. They went and they studied it. And do you know what happened? That on August 15, 1947, using their very own words as the basis, they said, Mohandas Gandhi is right. We have no right to subjugate India or any other colonial power. And India was granted its freedom on that day. Over the next 15 years, all of their, their, the other nations that were in their colonial empire were granted their independence as well. Why? Because one little man understood what was written. You see, if you can understand what's in this book, I'm talking about understanding is a wellspring of life. You don't just memorize the Bible. You've got to know what drives the heart of God. You've got to have a heart for God. Amen. Oh, somebody in the building ought to say hallelujah. I'm surprised at the number of people that think just knowing the Bible is enough. This, Satan knows the Bible. He quoted it to Jesus. Uh, I believe in God. So does the devil. The devils believe there's one God and tremble, but he's still the devil. Amen. Just believing God, just knowing the Bible is not enough. You've got to know his heart. And I conclude by telling you of another little lady. She was a Syrophoenician woman. Why am I saying this? Because God's promised you healing. God's promised you an extraordinary life. Why are you playing around at level number one or level number two? Why don't you get your spade out and dig into the word of God and, and learn the heart of God and get you some keys and you walk out of here today and say, I'm locked into a job where I can't get advanced. I'm on a fixed income, but I got some keys. If I give, if I tithe, I'm going to open the windows of heaven. I don't know how it's going to happen. It might be a guitar like pastor just talked about but God has given me a key I don't have to wait for a handout I don't have to wait for a hand up I make my own opportunity somebody in the building say amen little Syrophoenician woman came to Jesus her daughter was afflicted of a devil she was a Gentile now here's what you need to know I doubt that this woman understood theologically what would be required to make her miracle happen but because she was a Gentile Jesus had said, I am sent but only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. <laughs> it would be 10 years after the day of Pentecost before Peter would go to the household of Cornelius in Acts 10 and open the door for the Gentiles to experience their Pentecost. That means her miracle was marked on God's calendar for 10 years, at least 10 years down the road. She came 10 years too early. <laughs> <sighs> Ah, but she had understanding. Where did she get it? It wasn't in church. She didn't know the Bible. But she had lived with a daughter that was hurting so much that her hurting heart for her daughter made her identify with the hurting heart of God for his people and his world. And she walked up to Jesus and said, Lord, my daughter is at home afflicted of a demonic spirit. Jesus ignored her three times. Third time, he said, it's not proper to take the children's bread, give it to dogs. But because she had understanding. She said, yay, Lord, but the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the children's table. Amen. Now, I don't know if you realize what it took for Jesus to grant that miracle. Now, Jesus literally had to step out of time into eternity, 
step forward 10 years, get her miracle, turn back around, step back into time in the year that she was there. She didn't see all of this happening, but it's happening while she's standing right there. And Jesus says, go home, your daughter is delivered. And she was delivered. You say, how did he do that? It's real simple. Time is a parenthetical insertion into eternity. Has a beginning, has an end. If you don't know it, someday time in this world is going to cease. An angel, read it, the book of Revelation is going to place one foot on the sand, another on the sea, and shout with a loud voice that time shall be no more. The kingdoms of this earth have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and forever. Amen. Amen. Now, you see, Jesus existed before that parenthetical time was ever created. (laughs) And so he was in the beginning. Scripture said he was in the world and the world was made by him. (laughs) And the world knew him not. You think he just suddenly showed up and began to exist when Mary had her baby? Oh, no. He was way back there before Mary ever had a baby. He was at the dawn of creation and spoke the world into existence and Hallelujah. I could preach. I almost feel like calling for the organ right now. I'm having fun with you. This is the word. You know what happened? Jesus existed before time. Came for 33 years to this planet. And since he was in eternity before time began, Alpha and Omega, which means beginning and end, And for that matter, all in between. All he did was step out of his limited role of 33 years back into eternity where he was beginning and ending and without missing a beat, picked up her miracle 10 years in the future, walked right back into the room where she was at and gave her a miracle 10 years early. You can change things in your life. You can cause God to show up in your life.